I would not wish this on my worst enemy. The pain would be just excruciating. People just think that a migraine is a really bad headache and it's, it, there's so much more to it than that. It's really nice to be able to say, is anybody else dealing with this today? Hello, I'm Dr. Larry Newman, and this is Season 2, Episode 4 of Move Against Migraine, a podcast from the American Migraine Foundation. In this episode, we learn more about cluster headache from both the patient and physician lens. Joining me today are Dr. Mark Burrish of Memorial Hermann and patient advocate Tammy Rome to help shed some light on this topic. Dr. Burrish, can you just introduce yourself and tell us about your institution? My name is Dr. Mark Burrish. I'm a neurologist, headache specialist, and interventional pain specialist at Memorial Hermann Hospital and the Associated University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston, Texas. I spend about half my time doing research, mostly on cluster headache. Ms. Rome, can you, can you please introduce yourself to our audience and, and describe your relationship to the American Migraine Foundation? My name is Tammy Rome, and I'm a moderator for Move Against Migraine, a patient advocate. I'm also the president of the Cluster Headache Support Group and a chronic cluster headache patient. Thank you both for joining me today. So migraine gets more the notoriety than cluster headache does. Nonetheless, cluster is a disabling disease. The attacks occur with excruciatingly severe pain and associated features distinct from migraine headache. Unfortunately, and like migraine, many people who have cluster headache have been misdiagnosed mismanaged and mistreated. Dr. Burrish, for those who don't really know, what is a cluster headache and how does cluster headache differ from other types of headache? Specifically, how does it differ from migraine? Cluster headache is a disease unto itself. And by that, I mean it's not caused by a tumor or bleed or infection or anything else. The headaches are attacks, like you said, of excruciating pain, lasting somewhere between 15 minutes and three hours. It happens every day or every other day, and it can happen up to eight times a day. Pain is typically centered around one eye, and patients usually describe it as a sharp stabbing or throbbing pain. But that's not the only part of the attacks. Along with the pain, patients are restless. They pace, they rock back and forth, they just can't stay still. Also, during an attack, they get visible changes on the face, like a bloodshot eye or watering from the eye and nose. And those changes on the face only occur on the same side as the pain. So if you have left-sided pain, then only the left eye will get bloodshot and only the left nostril will start running. So about 90% of patients have episodic cluster headaches where they have daily headaches for weeks to months, then no headaches for several months. The headaches come in clusters, hence the name cluster headache. The remaining 10% of patients have chronic cluster headache where there are no long headache-free periods. There are a few things that differentiate cluster headache from migraine. So first, Cluster headaches are short, lasting three hours or less, though they might happen multiple times a day. Migraines are at least four hours and often much longer. Second, movement's also important. Cluster headache patients generally move around. They pace or rock or something like that. Migraine patients, on the other hand, often want to lie still because movement will make the pain worse. So Tammy, that was a clinical description that Dr. Burrish just gave us. Can you, for the listeners, can you just tell us what it's like to live with one of these attacks? Living with an attack really defies explanation because there is no other human experience that comes close to the experience of a cluster attack. So it's difficult to explain to loved ones and friends what you're experiencing. Um, It's often mistaken for a, a danger to yourself or others because the behavior is so erratic and aggressive. 
I know for myself, I become a very different person during an attack. Like Dr. Burrish said, I can't sit still. I rock, I pace, I sweat profusely from the face. Um, I don't sit still. I curse, I cry, I scream, I pull my hair, I bang my head against the wall and reach for the treatments that I hope will work and put us a, a quick end to the attack. Dr. Burrish also, recommend, also talked about the brief period of an attack. Yes, it is brief. That level of pain, no matter how brief, can feel like an eternity. I, I can't even imagine. I can tell you in my own practice, and I'm sure Dr. Burrish has heard this too, I have patients who've had both cluster headache and kidney stones and would much prefer to pass another kidney stone rather than have another attack of these of these disabling headaches. From a, we've been trying to quantify in this room what you said about how painful is this, and, and Dr. Newman, what you said too. When you're looking at the most painful things imaginable, childbirth, kidney stones, pancreatitis, gunshot wounds, those types of things, uh, Cluster headache is an order of magnitude more painful than all of those other things. So Tammy, you just described this awful situation where you can't sit still, you're restless, you're irritable, your eye is tearing, your nose is running, you have this excruciating pain. It would seem, and I'm going to ask Dr. Burrish to describe a little bit more about cluster as we move forward, but it would seem that it's so easy to diagnose. How long did it take you before someone actually diagnosed your condition? I was lucky. I was officially diagnosed within six months of my first attack. That is not typical. Most of my friends um, wait years, 10, 15 years for an accurate diagnosis. Mark, we talk about migraine affecting anywhere from 36 to 44 million Americans. Is that about the same rate for people with cluster? No, Cluster headache is much less common than other headaches. It's found about one in a thousand people. Now, that's not extremely rare. It's about the same rate as multiple sclerosis or about half as part common as Parkinson's disease, um, but it's definitely not as common as migraine. So we, t we talk in medical circles, we talk about primary headaches and secondary headaches. The primary headaches are the headache itself is the problem. Secondary headaches, there's an underlying cause. Is cluster a primary headache or a secondary headache? Cluster is a primary headache. There are very rare uh, secondary causes of cluster headache that um, sometimes have come up. So there's generally a recommendation to get an MRI scan, for example, in patients who have cluster headache who've never had a scan before. But it's one of the primary headaches along with migraines and tension headaches. So migraine tends to affect women about three times more often than men. We heard from Tammy that her her story is quite similar for people with cluster headache, but is cluster common in, in women? So cluster is basically the opposite of migraine. A cluster is found about three to one um, men more often than women. Um, that being said, and obviously Ms. Rome's an example of that, cluster headache does happen in women. I think a lot of times what happens with the misdiagnosis is that women get misdiagnosed as migraine because it's more common for women. Sure, sure. it's the same thing that we see in migraine. I. I can speak as someone who is living with migraine, yet I was told it couldn't possibly be migraine because I'm a man. So you, I'm sure women living with cluster experience the exact same stigma. Well, I have lived with migraine too, so I had already experienced migraine and had that previous diagnosis before cluster headache 
appeared. And I was advised by the neurologist who diagnosed my cluster headache that I was unusual being female and that he was very clear based on my symptoms, the description of my symptoms, that I definitely had both migraine and cluster. And he was able to help me learn the difference between the two and how to treat them differently. So although it took six months to get to the right diagnosis, you're one of the lucky ones who got diagnosed. So Dr. Burrish, you described and, and Ms. Rome described also what it's like to go through an actual acute attack of cluster. Just because it is so dramatic and because people have heard over and over again on these podcasts about the nausea and the light and the sound sensitivity with migraine, just describe exactly, besides this excruciating pain, what else the patient experiences. So there's basically two sides to what they experience. One is this restlessness um, kind of uh, thing. So patients really do not want to sit still. If they're lying down, they're going to rock back and forth. If they're up, they're going to walk around. Um, some people, like Ms. Rome said, will bang their head against the wall. I mean, it's very um, kind of perpetual in motion type of thing during an attack. Uh, the other part of these changes you get on the face, a lot of which you can see, so it's very obvious to be when people are having an attack. Uh, there's a few different things that can happen, and they're all on the same side as the pain. So around the eye, it may water, it may get bloodshot, the eyelid may droop, the eye or, or around the eye may get puffy, um, or the pupil may get smaller. Um, in the nose, it may get runny, it may get congested. With the face, it may get sweaty. Uh, but there's a lot of different changes that will happen just on that side of the face. So these are really disabling. That would be an understatement to say these are a really disabling disease. What can patients try to do to manage it? Most patients with cluster initially diagnose themselves informally because they're desperate and they go out to the internet and they start looking. And if you Google cluster headache, um, you will see some very dramatic videos of people having attacks. It's unmistakable and you can pretty much see from there, oh, that's what I'm going through, or that's not what I'm going through. Um, so it's not uncommon for those of us with, with cluster headache to do as I did, which was call up my primary care doctor and say, I Googled my symptoms and I think I have this. Fortunately, I had a good relationship with my doctor and he trusted me and we learned together. But um, I think the important thing is that when you begin to suspect that if this might be cluster, get in to see a doctor right away, call your doctor. And if doctors aren't listening or don't understand, keep talking. Ask for a second opinion, find another doctor, because there are doctors out there who can help you. It takes a long time to get treatment. Is there any hope? There's definitely hope. Uh, there's definitely some great treatment options. Uh, doesn't work. There's not one thing that works for everyone, but there are a few different options um, for headaches. So in the treatment part of things, there's basically three categories. You have lifestyle modifications, and then there's the acute medications to take to either break or reduce a headache, and then the preventive medication. So on the lifestyle thing, I would say probably the most important thing is to eliminate triggers. Um, alcohol tends to be a fairly common trigger, so eliminating that can be helpful. On the acute side of things, um, the mainstays of treatment are, move my paper there, on the acute side of treatment, uh, the tried and true medications are, or treatments are oxygen gas and sumatriptan. Oxygen gas is probably the most fascinating because you don't really understand how it works. But typically you need a lot of oxygen. By that I mean 15 liters a minute or more. So if they put that little nasal cannula in your nose, um, that's probably not going to be a true trial of oxygen gas. 
Um, the other is sumatriptan, which is a medicine that's also used for migraine. Um, but in cluster headache, it's really the injections that seem to be the most effective. Uh, on the preventive side, the first-line medications really are steroids and verapamil. So steroids are even given so steroids are either given as pills like prednisone or they're injected under the skin in the back of the head. And that can be really helpful for short periods of time, but uh, there are dangers of taking steroids for too long. Uh, so the so verapamil is a better long-term preventive. Uh, verapamil is a commonly used hypertension medication that's used to lower blood pressure and slow the heart rate, but it happens to also be quite helpful for cluster headache patients. You said that the nasal cannula, those tubes that go in people's nostrils to deliver oxygen, is not the right way to treat cluster. So what do they use instead of the, the cannula? So instead they use some version of a face mask. Uh, there's a few different types. The one that we typically recommend is a face mask with a big bag at the bottom called a non-rebreather. That one allows you to get a really high dose of oxygen all at once. Okay, that's an, that's an important point for the people listening to this podcast, that if your doctor prescribes a nasal cannula, it's not going to work and you have to get a non-rebreathing face mask. There's been some new things that have come onto the market just recently. You want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we've been really excited recently with these new cluster headache medications. It's great to see so much interest from a pharmaceutical level and just kind of a, a general level in new cluster headache treatments. So um, one is a non-invasive device that stimulates the vagus nerve. Um, so you put a device with no needles on your neck to break the headache tends to have very few side effects. There's now some data that doing that twice a day can also prevent the headaches. And then there's a new preventive medication that you inject once per month, uh, which we're very excited about for preventing uh, how many cluster headache episodes happen. And in the studies, they were reduced by a pretty significant amount. Tammy, have you found anything to, to help both treat the acute attack and prevent them? I have. I was initially prescribed oxygen even before I had an official diagnosis when my primary care and I suspected that might be the problem. Uh, of course, neither one of us knew what we were doing, and so I was prescribed a nasal cannula at seven liters per minute. Um, it did nothing to help the cluster attacks. So we went back to the drawing board, and I was able to get uh, high flow oxygen at 15 liters per minute with um, a non-rebreather mask, and. It's not just about the right flow of oxygen and the right mask, it's also about the right technique. Um, patients who lie on their back and relax and breathe slowly tend not to have the best results as those who continue to stay upright and active with deep breathing. Um, that's been my abortive of choice for 20 years. Um, on the preventive side, um, like I said, I've had this for 20 years in chronic form, um, and I have used the prednisone injections. Um, I've had used Verapamil for many years with moderate success, um, but it was really the newer injectables that were life-changing. You've had a, an incredibly long disabling journey. We're thankful that you finally found something that works for you. How does that make you feel, and what do you tell other people who have not been able to be as lucky as you? At first, when I took the injections and I stopped getting attacks every week, I was hesitant. I kept waiting for them. I, I kept paying attention to my right eyeball and feeling for that, that heat that's the early sign it's coming, um, and I'd hold my breath thinking, is it coming? Um, 
after the last I it's been it's been since it's been what five months since I had my last cluster attack I'm getting excited about it it's no longer that hesitation I look forward to enjoying life travel is one of my biggest triggers because of the irregularity in sleep and environment and I can travel without fear of making sure that I have an entire suitcase full of all of my abortives and rescue medications. Um, I can have um, a life. Uh, I can enjoy a glass of wine. Um, I don't, I'm not holding my breath with everything. And I tell patients, don't give up. If one thing doesn't work, keep trying, keep another. You just don't know what's going to be your miracle. That is a great ending to an awful story. I'm so happy for you. Thank you. Let me ask you, Mark, or I'll ask you both, actually. This is an incredibly disabling disease. How do you talk to people about it who don't get it? So what are the misconceptions medically? And then I'm going to ask Tammy, what are the misconceptions on the patient side? Actually, Dr. Newman, I might turn this around on you because you're I, I think it's odd to turn for the guest to turn this around on the host, but you've actually done a lot of presentations on this and publications on this. So I don't know if you have some thoughts on misconceptions. Well, you're right. Nobody's ever turned that around on me. <laughs> but there's quite a few misperceptions about this, that nobody can possibly have headaches that occur so many times a day they must be faking it. Your eye is tearing, your nose is running, you should go to an ENT, you're in the wrong office. Your scans are normal, there's nothing wrong with you, there's nothing I can do to help you. I've tried all the medications that work for all the other people who have migraine. If you're not getting better, I'm not sure what else to do for you. It's, it's saddening and it's maddening when we, when we hear this from, from patients who have who have had a longer history than Tammy. Tammy got six months of devastating headaches before she was diagnosed. Both you and I, I'm sure, have seen people with 10 and 15 year histories before. In my work at the Cluster Headache Support Group, I talk to patients every day. Patients who will tell me they've been prescribed medications that are clearly appropriate for migraine, and we know it, And but we're not doctors. We can't tell them what to take or what to do, but we do encourage them to look at the literature. We post um, information about the literature on our website to tell them this is what you need to ask your doctor about. I'm going to ask it a different way and I'm going to throw it back at you this time, Mark. I'm your patient. Yeah. You've just diagnosed me for the first time with cluster headache. I'm, I'm overjoyed because I finally have a diagnosis, but what does cluster headache mean? So cluster headache means a few things. One, it means that you're going to get recurrent attacks uh, of this pain that goes along with these changes in the face, this restlessness. Um, the other is that there are some things that you're going to have to watch out as far as triggers, um, timing of it, that you can have things at certain times of day. But, but what it means is that you have this uh, probably genetic, but we don't know exactly why, uh, basis for having attacks. There's no blood clot, there's no tumor, there's no anything else. It's just you have these recurrent attacks that will come and go and you'll be uh, you'll have no issues in between. Uh, that being said, it also means that we need to start talking about treatment options, about what you're going to do to keep these to a minimum um, and what we're going to do to kind of reduce um, how bad these are. Other things we've got to talk about other than pain, like we talked a little earlier, is 
when you're in the middle of an attack or when thoughts get really dark, how do you cope with that? And what do you deal with that to kind of keep you from getting to the brink, to keep you from kind of getting to that point and knowing that there are options and knowing the things you have to do? Well, when I had my first cluster attack, it was two days before my first day on a new job. As the only woman in a male-dominated work environment. So my colleagues got to see them firsthand. In the future, I would say, tell people I have cluster headache. Usually before I got the word headache out, they would say, oh, I get bad migraines too. So we had to have that talk first about how cluster is different from migraine. And I would look at them and say, yes, I get migraine too, and I get cluster. And then go into describing exactly the symptoms that we've discussed. And I would tell people, I'm going to curse, scream, cry, give me lots of room. Let me isolate. I learned to isolate and do what I needed to do to take care of the attack and then come back to the world. And I would tell people, if I disappear and you hear strange noises from the next room, it's okay, don't call the police, don't call 911, I'm going to be all right. And in the last year, I started carrying a card that says, I have cluster headache, please don't call 911. I'm not a danger to myself or others. I may do these things, these are my treatments. So I think we've heard today that cluster is rare. It's not migraine. It is a primary headache disorder. So there's good news. The good news is that it's a not life-threatening condition, but it's clearly a life-altering condition. We've heard that people who live with cluster often go years before they've had the right diagnosis. And not only that, but while they've been misdiagnosed, they've been sent to the wrong types of doctors and, and clinicians. But we've also heard from Dr. Birch, there's a host of medications that have been around for a while that, that can be used to prevent and to treat the acute attacks, and that there's been a new agent on the market that Dr. Burris just told us about, and that Ms. Rome has just told us has pretty much revolutionized her, her career with cluster, if you will. So let me just thank both of you for your time, for your insights, and for sharing your story with us. And for those of you out there listening to this who think they might have cluster and can't figure out where to go, on the American Migraine Foundation website, AmericanMigraineFoundation.org, there's a host of resources as well as a Find a Doctor referral. Thanks for listening. Season 2 of Move Against Migraine, a podcast by the American Migraine Foundation, is made possible by our generous sponsors, Amgen and Teva.